0: How many here, now we start the message, finally. So, again, welcome home. I'm super excited that you're here. Let me start the message with a question. How many here, you graduated with less than 50 people in your high school class? Less than 50. All right, so there's quite a few. So I did too, 33. So what that means to me is, you and I, we grew up in kind of small towns, right? Now there are advantages, and there are disadvantages. One of the advantages of a small town is this, sports, Like, if you go out for a sport, you got a good chance of, of like, being on the team. I mean, the coach will look at you and say, hey, you, you got a pulse? You're like, yeah, I got a pulse. He's like, get in there. Go get him." You know, it don't take much to get on the team. Maybe that's how I made wrestling. Varsity, my my eighth grade year. 90 pounds, wrestling 98, because there wasn't a 90-pound weight class. Eighth grade, my record was 5-12. and Now, granted, three of those wins were because of forfeits. The other team didn't have anybody, but still— It counts. Don't laugh. So um, I didn't win a lot of matches my eighth grade year. My freshman year of wrestling, by the way, some of you, you might not be familiar, wrestling. It's a, it's, you have a team, but it's not a team sport when you're out there competing. Can I just say it? It's pressure. You are on a mat in front of hundreds of people just like this, out there on a mat, on a mat, wearing tights, rolling around with another person. It, it sounds weird when I say it like that, but it is weird, so why not? Uh, so that's what we did. So, my freshman year, I won, I still probably lost more than I won, and there's nothing worse than being out on the mat wearing tights, getting your handed to you by somebody else while everybody is watching. It's just there's nobody to help. So, I'll never forget one match my freshman year, and this is this is pivotal. I was getting beat like like usual and uh it was the third period the last period and i'll never forget i was he had me on my back again that's not where you want to be you get both shoulders on the mat you're pinned and he had me on he had me on my back again and i was getting beat by points and there was probably a minute left in the in the match and i'm like i'm i'm trying to get out and i don't know what happened i don't know if it was the spirit of the lord rushing through me or the fact that I had to go to the bathroom and just wanted to get off the mat. But something happened. And I arched as hard as I could and grabbed his arm and flipped him. The next thing I know, I'm on top. Now, this is unfamiliar territory for me. I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, my God. What a... And, and I had his head and his arm. It's called the headlock. And I'm, I got him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And all I hear from my, my, my the bench and all the guys and my coaches, squeeze, squeeze. And I was like, I was squeezing so hard. I thought, his head's gonna pop right off. I didn't know. I mean, I was just squeezing because the time is ticking. There's seconds left. In fact, do we have a picture? This this picture made the yearbook. That's the picture. Now I know what you're thinking. That bicep, huh? I mean, seriously, dang. That is the actual picture of that moment. And I turn the tables, and there were seconds left, like literally seconds. And I'm squeezing as hard as I can with my 98 pound body. And all of a sudden, Chet Jones, the ref that you see in the picture, boom, hits the mat, and I pinned him with seconds left. And I get up, and I'm like You would have thought I just won the national championship. And I'm out there celebrating and celebrating, and my coach is like, Bonnie, Bonnie. I'm like, what? He's like, get off the mat. You're being weird, okay? You know, it's just, it's over. You won, fine. So, but, but turn to two people and say this. It was the great reversal. It was the great reversal. What happened that day wasn't supposed to happen. What happened that day was a moment I'll never forget. Thank God they put it in the yearbook. So here's who I'm, here's who I'm speaking to today for today's message. You're in some, you're, somebody here is in need of a reversal in your life. Somebody here, you're in desperate need of something to change in your life. Maybe you've lost hope in an area. Maybe you're, you're, you, you continually get beat down. You, can, can, you continually get knocked down. Maybe you're ready to give up, and something's got to change. If something doesn't change, I don't know what's going to happen. And this is where you find yourself. And I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I'm telling you something. You're desperate for a reversal in your life. Something to just, like, like happen with me, and all of a sudden, boom, it's, it's, I'm on top, I'm winning, and you want it so bad. Thank God you're here. There's a, there's a woman, I want to tell you a story in the Bible. It's out of the, the Gospel of John. And if you brought a Bible or a mobile app, I love when you go there and follow along. Um, John 4, this woman, she was desperate. She needed a great reversal in her life. Let, let, me, let me preach to you out of the Word of God. Let's watch what he does. John 4, verse 1. Jesus knew that the Pharisees, the religious people, you know, the people that would get all worked up, they'd miss the miracle, of course. They'd miss it all because they're so worried about legality and rules. So Jesus knew the Pharisees heard he was baptizing and making more disciples. So Jesus is doing great ministry. Lives are changing, and the religious people are upset about it. And Jesus knew it, so, he, so Jesus was, wasn't baptizing them himself, but his disciples baptized. He equipped people to do the ministry. So Jesus left, and he had to go to Galilee. So why, was, why did Jesus leave? Because the religious people were gonna start coming after him, and he wasn't ready for that quite yet. It wasn't time for that to happen in his timeline. But the religious people, they always missed it, and they always will. Oh, I can't believe you're doing this, I can't believe, whatever, you don't even know me, you don't even understand what we're doing. You don't get it, you missed the miracle. By the way, Meadows people have heard this before, we're not a religious organization. And I know that's weird, what, you're a church? Yeah, we're not a religious organization we're all about a relationship. See, Jesus Christ didn't come to earth. Jesus Christ didn't die to make you religious. He came to show you the love of the Father. That's what he came to do. That's what we want to do for you. So Jesus, so get this, next verse is key. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Do we have that map? Put up this map. This is so key. So Jesus, down, down Jerusalem area, and he's got to go up to Galilee. So, so here's what he says to John and the others. we we got to go through Samaria. It says, John wrote, he, Jesus had to go through Samaria. John was with him, he, who wrote this. John's with him in this journey. And Jesus is like, John, we're going to go up through Samaria. Not because it's a shorter distance, but because Jesus had a divine appointment. See, any Jewish person would never take the route straight from Jerusalem up to Galilee. Every Jewish person would always go over, cross the Jordan, go up, back over, across the Jordan, and over. Why would they do that? Because they hated Samaria. Because they hated Samarians. That's why. That's how deep the hatred was. Why did they hate them so much? Because they weren't like Jews. The Jews were proud of their heritage full-blooded Jews, but Samaritans were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, which just means they're not a Jewish person. Like most of you, you're Gentiles. So that's who they are. So every Jewish person would never go through Samaria. And Jesus stresses to John, John, we got to go through. We got to go. I got to go through. Say, I got to go through. You got to go through. Verse 5, eventually they came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. You see, you put that map up one more time just so they can see where Sychar is. Please, thank you. So that's where this takes place. All right. Near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So they're at a well, Jacob's well. Jesus is tired. Notice that. Jesus got tired. Jesus gave up his divine rights. You know, he was was human like you and I. He, He struggled. He was tired. He was weary, it said. So he sits down about noon at the well. Soon, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. This is crazy. Now, now, for a couple different reasons. Number one, why would the Samaritan woman come at noon in the heat of the day? Nobody got water at the heat of the day, by the way. They would always go in the early morning or the late evening where it was cool. Always. You know why she's coming in the noon or the heat of the day? She don't want to see anybody. And you'll find out why. She doesn't want to meet Jesus, she don't want to see anybody. And Jesus, Jesus meets her, meets her, and listen to what he says. Please give me a drink. Now, he's alone at the time. The disciples went into the village to buy some food. I'll say it again. Disappointment, she didn't know it, but Jesus knew it. It was a divine appointment at a well. Here's what I believe for you. The fact that you're watching online, the fact that you're listening, the fact that you're here today, this is a divine appointment for you. I believe it with all my heart. Verse 9, the woman is shocked. She is surprised. Of course she is. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, especially Samaritan women. She even said it. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, I'm a Samaritan. That's bad. I'm a woman, which in these times is considered less than. So she's got these two strikes. She goes, why would you even talk to me? Like, why are you even, why would you even ask? And you certainly, a Jew would never ask a Samaritan for a favor. Like, give me a drink, please. They would, would, this would never happen. But Jesus did things that no one else did. So, so she, Jesus replies in verse 10, she says, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus says it, listen, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She says, please, sir, oh, excuse me, I skipped ahead. She said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. The well, it's deep. And where would you get this living water that you speak of? And besides, what do you think? You're better? You think you're greater than Jacob who gave us the well? You think you can offer better water than than he and his sons gave? That his animals enjoyed? And Jesus said, anyone. Say anyone. anyone. Anyone who drinks from this well will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink from the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She says, please. she says, please, sir, what you're saying sounds so good. Please, sir, give me the water you speak of. Then I'll never thirst again, and then I'll never have to come here and get water again. So she's still not quite tracking. She's still not quite picking up what Jesus is laying down. So then Jesus kind of shifts directions to get her attention. And Jesus says, go and get your husband. And Jesus told her. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, yeah, that's right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you're married with now isn't your husband, or you're not married to him either. So you certainly spoke the truth. <laughs> and she's like, dang, you've been creeping up on me? How you know all that about me? This is why I privatize all my social media accounts. What are you doing? You know, I can't have you know. So Jesus knew things. She even said, she even said, sir, you, you must be a prophet. So Jesus gets right up in her business. Now watch what she does. It's almost comical. She don't want to talk about what he just talked about. She ain't wanting to go there trust me. So watch what she does. She's like, oh, uh, so tell me, Jesus, you know, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship where, while we Samaritans claim it's it's here at Mount Gerizim, you know, where our ancestors worshiped. In other words, she's doing anything to divert Jesus' attention. It's like, Jesus, uh, uh, look over there. And she's like, (laughs) running over here. She's like, all right. (laughs) Is he still Yeah, I know, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? So so Jesus is doing whatever it takes to get, or she's doing whatever it takes to get out of that subject. She wants nothing to do with it. Verse 25. Let me go back for a second. Oh, Jesus does talk about the worship she talks about. He doesn't address the places like Jerusalem or the mountain that she's talking about. Jesus really didn't care about where. He cared about here. He cared about the heart of worship. He cared about the transparency of worship. That's what he cared about. So he explains it to the woman, and the woman makes this statement. Listen to this. Verse 25. The woman said, listen, I know the Messiah's coming. I know the Messiah's coming, the one who's called the Christ. See, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, she's saying... there's got to be something i know there's some i've heard about something this hope this messiah because for me in my life it can't get much worse see no i'm not back in the town because no one wants to talk to me and i came out here to hoping i wouldn't find anybody because i don't want to talk to them i've got a reputation i'm a home wrecker back there they don't like me there's got there's got to be something better than the way i'm living there, there, there Maybe the Messiah, this Messiah, he's coming. And Jesus Christ, in verse twenty-six, looks right at her and he says, "This, I am the Messiah." Just this bold statement, and you gotta love it. The very next verse, the disciples. Then the disciples come back. Of course, perfect timing. This intimate moment with Jesus and the woman. Disciples barge in. Hey, Jesus! Whoa! Well, you know what's up? We just got some wine at the store. You know, let's go. But. Jesus is like, I am him. I am the Messiah. And the disciples noticed they wouldn't even say a word, and they were shocked. If you wonder, I mean, Jews, Jewish men, Jewish, any, they would never be doing what Jesus is doing. What you're doing that? What you're giving away that? Why would you what, what are you doing? This isn't what normal is. This isn't what we do with people, Jesus. You're not being correct, okay? But they didn't have the guts to say it. They they didn't want to ask him, what are you doing with her? Why are you talking to her? And listen to verse 28, what happens. The woman left her water beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Do you catch it? The great reversal. This woman comes to a well for water. That's the only reason she came to the well. That's it. That's why she made the trek to the well. She leaves the very thing she came for and runs back. She's running back to talk to people she would do anything to avoid moments earlier. She, she is running back, spewing, oh my gosh, I think this might be, I think it's him, I think this is what he said. you got to hear this. She is going crazy. What a reversal. She leaves what she came for and now she's talking to everybody when she would avoid everybody. And look what her impact made in the town. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of the woman. A woman that they wouldn't even listen to an hour ago. And now they're believing everything she's saying. Something's happening. So, the, so they, she says, he told me everything I ever did. What am I trying to say? She came to the water, or to the well for water. She came looking for that. See, Jesus didn't come to give us answers. People, oh, I want to know this, I want to know that. No, no, no. Jesus didn't come to give us answer answers. Jesus came to be the answer. See, this is the difference. He says, I know you're talking about this Messiah. And Jesus, like, you're looking at him. You're speaking to him. Like, I'm here in front of you. He didn't come to give answers, he came to be the answer. A couple days ago, what was it, Friday? I, uh, Ava was at a birthday party, and Jake, thirteen year, my 13-year-old son, was home. And I said, Jake, I said, you want to watch an R-rated movie? And Jake's like, Dad, you serious? Because Jake's never watched an R-rated movie. Have you, Jake? Serious? I mean, as far as I know, Jake has never watched an R-rated movie. So I said, yeah. He goes, Dad, Dad, what is it? And I said, Jake, it's called The Passion of the Christ. And he's like, "Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, he did. Actually, you were excited about watching it. So we watched the movie and it's it is graphic and there's that part, you know, it's in the word of God, but I I just it's visual to me cuz I just watched it. And this high priest comes up to Jesus. Now Jesus has been arrested, he's been beaten, he's been spit on, he's been mocked, and he hasn't said anything to anybody. He's just taking it. And the high priest finally comes up and says, "Listen to me. Are you the Messiah?" And Jesus, bruised and bloodied, picks his head up and looks at him in the eyes. And he says, I am. And from that moment on, that movie, just like the movie in in God's Word, things are set in motion so quickly. Like a few hours after he would make that statement, he would be be pummeled by a cross that he's trudging up a hill. It's crazy. And and many of you, I'm not telling anything you don't know. You've heard the story. He carries it up the cross He's crucified up there. Nails, dead, it's over. In fact, I told Jake, what, what, the spear that they spear him with, there's a reason that water comes out with blood. Ask any doctor, physician, that, that, that's proof that the guy was dead. He was dead, you know? Well, how do you know that? I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. Go talk to somebody else. I'm just saying, that's what I've heard. So, but he was dead. And they take Jesus' body down from the, from the cross. Now look up here. When they took that dead body down from the cross, there were no Christians. None. In fact, I would would tell you that nobody believed he was the son of God at that point. Oh, come on, pastor. That's bold. Mary, his mom, was at the cross. John, his best friend, was at the cross. Okay. They they were at the cross. You're right. They saw him die. I'm going to say it again. When Jesus stopped breathing, everybody stopped believing. Everybody. And and not because I said it. Listen to the word of God. So they take Jesus down. Now now remember, what we're celebrating today, you know what happened on the third day. Well, the third day, those women, some women show up at the tomb, right? Well, Jesus said, this is going to happen. Jesus said on the third day, and he did. He said it over and over and over. Guess what? When they showed up on the third day, you know what they weren't there to do? Celebrate. You know what they weren't there to do? Say, oh my gosh, he's alive. No, they weren't. You know what they were carrying? Spices. You know what they want to do with the spices? Anoint a dead body. If they believed, wouldn't they be going there to... Anyway, the word of God, let me give it to you. Is it Luke 24, I think. Yeah, Luke 24, verse 3. So they went in, they're at the tomb. The women go in. Listen, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus there. As they stood there, puzzled, Why would they be puzzled? I mean, they went there to celebrate. Jesus is going to be alive. (laughs) When Jesus stopped breathing, everybody stopped believing. They figured he'll do what all dead things do, stay dead. Trust me. Why would they be so puzzled? Why would they be wanting to anoint a dead body if they were going to go celebrate a risen king? I'm just reading the word of God here. They were puzzled. And then two men suddenly appeared, clothed in dazzling robes the women freaked out they were scared they bowed their faces to the ground the men said why are you looking for the dead among the living why why do you look among excuse why do you look for uh, among the dead for someone who is alive verse 6 he jesus isn't here he's risen from the dead so they hear this miracle they hear the greatest news in the world and i'm telling you something at that moment The Christian faith began. See, it didn't begin like with Moses or Abraham, great men of God and everything, all that. It didn't even begin at the birth of Jesus. Christianity began with one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you something. I don't believe in the resurrection just because I read it. I don't believe it just because of that. I believe it because men, real men, who historians validate were real men, documented real things. I believe it because John, his best friend, wrote all about it, and then Mark wrote about it, and and then Luke, and then Matthew, but not only them, Peter then wrote about it later, and then Paul wrote about it, and his brother James. Days earlier, James didn't even believe, and now he's a pillar of the first church writing about his his, his brother being the son of God. uh, Okay, not only that, but they died for it. That's nuts. Let's look at Peter, for example. Peter, the dude that would deny Jesus. The Peter, the guy that would cower in fear when a girl said, hey, aren't you the guy that hung out with Jesus who we just arrested? Peter's like, no, man, ain't me. Scared. Why are you so scared, Peter? Because he didn't want to die. But Peter, the resurrection, you'll you'll be raised to life. (laughs) Peter didn't believe at that moment, I'll tell you that. That's why he's saying, "Don't I'll I'll do whatever it takes. Don't don't beat me like you're beating him. Don't kill me like you're killing him. I'll lie not once, not twice, but three times. Just don't just don't put me in his shoes." So, so but, but Peter, after the resurrection, post-resurrection Peter, he was he was different. He preached the first church message: three thousand people are saved from their sins. People would walk through the shadow of Peter and be healed. Post-resurrection, Peter, tradition tells us, would die willingly all of a sudden. But Peter, you didn't, you were scared out of your mind here, but now you're willingly going to die like Jesus, crucified? Not exactly like him. He would ask to be turned upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Christ. See, this is something, say something happened. Something had to have happened. Something had to have happened. But even besides all that, you know why I believe? Because a dead man, if he was still dead, a dead man can't change me. A dead man cannot help me. A dead man cannot save me. And listen, I tried hundreds of times, just like some of you, to change. Hundreds of times I looked for remedies. I looked for answers. But we're we're learning something. Jesus Christ didn't come to give answers. He came to be the answer. And, And this is a reality. So, and I, listen to me, when I was driving in my car down 41st Street, dead behind a wheel, you didn't think a corpse could drive, did you? I'm telling you what, I was a shell driving behind a wheel. Just, it was over. And you know what? I didn't cry out to Allah. I didn't cry out to Muhammad. I didn't cry out to Confucius. I didn't cry out to Buddha. I didn't cry out to some other God. I cried out to Jesus. See, I don't know. My story might be your story. I can sum it up real quickly. I messed up. And then I gave up. And then I looked up. And then the answer named Jesus Christ showed up. And he changed me. And he wants to change you. Oh, does he want to change you. Jesus, if you did it, then you will do it again. So, and then Jesus shows up again at a well with a woman. And he looks into the life of this woman, and he sees the regret, and he sees the disgust, and he sees the shame, and he sees the fear, the mess that she's made. He looks right into her life. He sees all the brokenness. And I'm sure she's thinking, you know what I've done. You just said it yourself, Jesus. Jesus. You know who I've been with. You know where I've been. You know the mistakes I've made. And Jesus would be like, I do. I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly where you've been. I know every mistake you've made. But you know what? Your mistakes don't make you. You see, I made you. And he made you. And I came here to tell somebody who you thought it was over and you thought it was done. I'm telling you, God is way less done with you than you are. He is way less done with you than you are. The word of God. The cross. I love it. So the cross, where Jesus, God, put his love on full display. The empty tomb, where God put his power on full display. I'm telling you what, everything I believe. Say Everything. Everything. Everything I believe hinges on an event. Everything I believe hinges on an empty tomb. And I'm telling you something, the moment that Jesus walked out of the tomb, I'm telling you what, impossible flew out the freaking window because with resurrection power, all things are possible. He's proof. He did it. He walked out. So, as a pastor, we can put pressure on ourselves for big days like this. We can. We, we can be ignorant enough to think that it's somehow going to be up to us. That's comical. If it, I mean... Anyway, so, but we do. We're like, oh my gosh, it's Easter or it's Christmas. And what am I going to, I got to preach the right message. I got to say the right things. I gotta do the right things. And we put all this pressure on ourselves and I was doing it this week. And I'm like, okay, God, what, 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 am, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And it's like, God's like, God's so funny. God's like knocking. He's like, hey, moron. Okay, hey, he probably didn't call me moron. He's God. He might've thought it though. because, I mean, Hey, how about you tell him about my son, Jesus? Tell him he was dead, and then now tell him he's alive. I'm like, all right, check. Like, we just did that together right now. But he didn't stop. Then you know what he said? Why don't you pretend like you're talking to a child, your child, someone that you desperately love, someone that that, that maybe doesn't know me, someone that maybe is lost, someone that maybe just is all messed up. Why don't you just talk to them like you're talking to your child, and you get one shot. You get, you get like 30 minutes just to say that if I have this and I get no other shot in the world. what You talk to them like that. So I thought about that and I wrote this down. What would I say? If I was talking to a child of mine that maybe has gone wayward and they're struggling and God has said, you got one opportunity in front of them. That's all you got. What are you going to tell them about me or you or what I've done in, in through you? Here's what I wrote down. I would say life is hard because It is. I don't have to talk you into that one you know it and I know it life is hard and I would tell them we are in a fight I would say you are in a battle and then I say and you don't have what it takes to win you don't have it why why don't I have what it because the battle that you're in and the battle that I'm in is spiritual It is a spiritual battle, and you will never win a spiritual battle with man-made tendencies, with man-made missions, with man-made strategies. You will never do it. I tried, trust me. I tried all the man-made strategies there was. Money will do it. Success will do it. Sex will do it. Relationships will do it. Drugs will do it. I came up. Empty. I went to that well all the time. Came up empty every time. Every time, it didn't matter. And, it, and then if he were to ask, or my, that kid I'm talking to would ask, well, if Jesus, if that's it, and why all the theatrics? Why all the like? Why the cash giveaway? I'll tell you why. Because when I was dead in my sin, if a church would have said, "Hey, we'll pay you money to come," I would have came. I won't tell you what I would have done with the money because it wasn't very godly but it would have got me in the door it would have I kid you not it would have why would you, do, why would you give away money you give away money like that you start promoting the church like that you have people out there holding signs <laughs> I always say if you're not called a cult every once in a while you're probably not doing squat for Jesus so I'm going to give whatever They call Jesus a cult all the time, trust me. Why why the cash? Why? If you were to ask me that, I would give you the same verse I read once, but I'm going to read it again to make sure you get it. I would read to you John 4.10. And Jesus said, if you only knew the gift, if you only knew the gift what you're looking at right now, If you only knew the gift that God has for you, who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Don't you see? I wrote down, she didn't come to the well because of Jesus. Holy, if she would've known Jesus was gonna be at the well, she would've never showed up. She didn't wanna see anybody. Why'd she come? She came for something tangible. She came to have a need met. She came for the water. And Jesus says, oh my God, the the well, The well that you're in, what this well offers, what this world offers, Jesus says, it pales in comparison to what I offer. It's temporal. I'm eternal. It's an answer. I'm the answer. Whatever I said, God, I'll do whatever it takes. I said, if they hear the heart, anybody who's maybe mad about what we're doing to reach people, I don't care. You don't know the heart of the church then. I believe in the Word of God. I believe if you hear the love of the Father Jesus, I'll do whatever it takes to get somebody in the room to hear it. It ain't me, it's God. He's doing it. If you only knew the gift. And the person I'm talking to, they might say, yeah, yeah, I know the gift though. I know the story of Easter. I know the story of Easter, Pastor. I've heard it before. It's not like I walked into church and I'm, I'm shocked to hear that Jesus was on a cross and then the tomb's empty. I've heard the story all my life. And so did I. But my question for you is this. There's a big difference between knowing the story and living the story. Oh my gosh. I'm here to tell somebody I knew the story all my life. Believe in Jesus all my life. Wouldn't know it by looking at my life, but but I knew the story of Easter. I just wasn't living it. When I was dead in the car, when I was a shell driving a car down the road, I knew Easter. I knew it. I wasn't living it. You know when I started living it? When I was sitting in an environment just like this, back there, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit moved in me like I pray to God He's moving in you. And he changed me now it's gradual trust me he's got a lot of work to do with me yet i know that but he's doing something and he wants to do something in you whatever it takes and i and and don't miss this when jesus said if you only knew the gift that word gift that word gift in the greek is dorea say dorea see I love giving you Greek because it makes me feel like the thousands of dollars I spent on my ministry degree is worth it, okay? It also makes me feel smart about myself, so just let me have my fun. So, the Greek word for free is durea. Let me break that word down real quick. Dorea: that which is given or transferred freely from one person to another. A word that stresses the freeness of the gift. And you might be thinking, well, come on, pastor, duh, it's free, it's a gift. I'm telling you, and you know this, all gifts aren't free. I'll just say it. When I was in high school, one time, and I'm going to date myself here and if you're under 30, you'll have no idea what these next two words even mean, but google it later. When I was in high school, I was given what we called a ghetto blaster. Okay? Anybody ever you know what that is? Okay? 3 of you good. Great. That's awesome. So, so it was a really big radio Okay, like about the size of a, a Volkswagen. And we would, we would, we it around and we would take it places. But the problem is, when you're like, in, I took it in a vehicle one time. And the problem is there's no plug-in in the vehicle. So then, then it was no longer free. I had to buy like 14 D batteries that cost me $174. It was no longer free. It lasted probably 47 minutes. But I'm telling you, it was the, it was the most rocking 47 minutes you'll ever hear. It was good. It was good until it wasn't. So. It wasn't free. The gift that Jesus has for you is free. Peter, who cowered and then was crucified. Why? Just because of one event, the resurrection. That's the only reason he was changed. Pre-Jesus, mm, I don't know the guy. Post-Jesus, you can murder me. I don't care. This isn't my home. I, I, I'm, this is not the end for me. He knew it. So let me give you the gospel presentation out of First Peter from his words. First 1 Peter 1.18. Peter writes this for you and for me on this day. For you know that God paid a ransom. say free. God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Some of you, your life is empty and you know it. That's why you're here today. And it was not paid with mere silver and gold. Money means nothing. Nothing means. It, 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 they lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as a ransom. A ransom. He's paying it for you. That's free. A ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for you. On this last day, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, resurrected And the gospel of how you can become one with him is being revealed to you, for you. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because why? He raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. That is why. You don't have to believe the entire Bible to be saved. I mean, I do, but you don't have to. You'll get there maybe. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Christianity hinges on one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love how it says, trust God. And I would say to you, if I was speaking to my son who was lost, or my daughter who was lost, I would say, trust in him. I would tell you, trust in the one who created you. I would tell you, you trust in the one who walks with you. You trust in the one who loves you. You trust in the one who has a plan for your life. Trust in the one who has a purpose for your life. You trust in the one who has the power to take a blood-stained cross and turn it into an empty tomb because he will meet your trust in that. Give God some praise up in here. He's good. He's God. He's alive. We started the series, Gardens, Graves, and Glory. It started in the Garden of Eden. It led to a grave that led to a tomb that leads to glory. It's funny, it starts in Genesis, and the tree of life shows back up in Revelation. John, the one who wrote about the woman at the well, he also wrote the last book of the Bible called Revelation. It's prophecy being lived out as we live. Here's one thing he wrote. You get a glimpse of heaven, it's good, trust me. Revelation 22. John said, an angel showed me something. He showed me a river. With the water of life. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I will give you living water. With the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Of course, living water flows from the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side grew a tree of life. And a few verses later, lean into this. The Spirit and the Bride say and they're speaking to you right now, they say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, let them come. I came here to tell you, the stone, it was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that you could come in and see that he has risen. He did it for you you it's free, accept it, take it the gospel the gift of grace pastor, how do I get it, how do I get the living water you call on his name like I did sitting in a church one day Jesus Christ, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ I believe that you're God's son that you're dead and that today you live I'm asking you God to forgive me forgive my sins and make me new I ask that your Holy Spirit come into me you just pray that right where you're at, and the Holy Spirit will enter into you and save you and make you new. You can't earn it. Remember, it's free. I always tell the church, do, do good people go to heaven? No, They don't. You, yeah, they do. You guys already beat me to the punch. I love my church. They know. They, they've heard it over and over. If you ask 95% of the people in the world, and maybe some of you even believed it too. I did growing up. Who goes to heaven? Who goes to hell? Well, good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell wrong and wrong it's wrong it's false teaching it's false good people don't go to heaven Saved people go to heaven forgiven people go to heaven people covered by the grace of god go to heaven people who call on the name of jesus christ go to heaven you can't earn it and i remember when i heard that you can't earn it i was like thank god because look at me look at me i knew i had no chance i had none I had none, I can't do it, I'm not that good. I'm not a good person some days and I'm still not some days. I can't earn it and God said, you don't have to. Sell out to me, let me enter into you. Paid in full. I pray online, you're typing, I choose Jesus in the comments right now. It'll be the best three words you ever typed. Typing the words don't save you, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ that saves you. But you call on his name, you believe in that grace, by your faith you're saved. He'll save you and he'll set you free. Same is true for anybody in the room. Green cards, fill them out, turn them into guest services. Let us love you. Let us walk with you. I I just want you to know how to be saved, how how to go from death to life. And isn't that what Jesus came to do? And I'll close it by saying this. Jesus has a great reversal in store for your life. And here's what I would tell you. He is a king who reverses the order of everything. It's what he came to do. Think about it. A king that would go from heaven to earth. A king that would go from from glory to shame. A king that would go from a master to a servant. From life to death. Why would he do that? So that you might go from death to life. I came here to tell somebody, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, you were on his mind. And, And you need to know, You have to know that. I wrote down, this is why our faith does not depend on what Christ is going to do for us. It's based on the fact of what he's already done for us. The tomb is empty and we have hope. Would you shout about it? Would you shout about it? Would you shout about it? The tomb is empty. He's so good. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing God to reverse the order of your life. He doesn't just want to fix you up. He wants to make you new. It's what he's in the business of doing. And I always tell my church or his church, if he can change a guy like me, dang, what do you think he wants to do in you? Father, we give you glory. This day is all about you. And I love the fact that we, we, we don't have to complicate it. God, you know we do. Got to do this, got to do that. Got to cover these bases, got to cross these T's, dot these I's, and you're like, no, no, no. Believe in my son Jesus. Believe in an event that took place, the resurrection of him. Believe in that. Call on his name and be saved. God, as I pray, I pray that people watching all over the globe, people here today, that they're going to surrender everything and anything that's holding them back, that they will be open up to living water, not what this world offers. It pales in comparison to what you offer. God, have your way. We will never stop glorifying you. We will never stop pointing people to your son, Jesus Christ. We will never stop preaching about your gospel, that your son was dead, but today he lives. And if we sell out to that truth and invite him into us, we'll never be the same. That's why we know that regardless of anything that happens in this world, there's a better life that's coming. Despite anything we face when we leave here today, we can always say the best is yet to come because this world is not our home. Thank you, Father. We love you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all say, Amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. I invite you to like or subscribe to our social channels. That way, you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, would you consider sharing this message with a friend, coworker, family member? I mean, so many people need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring it directly to them. Finally, one more thing I want to ask that you would consider giving financially to this ministry. I mean, God has done so much, but yet we believe he wants to do so much more, like so many more people he wants to reach, so much more hope he wants to give, so many more lives that he wants to save, and your investment can help make that happen. So again, thank you so much. I love you, and God loves you more. God bless you.